Welcome to the Mental Health Diagnosis podcast episode. My name is Heather Bogard. I'm an LCSW clinical supervisor. Today, I'm going to talk about why do we diagnose and why especially accurately diagnose, how to conduct a well-planned and informational diagnostic interview, and then lastly, what are some of the special situations that we see working with our patients and how to handle those. Initially, talking about why are we giving a diagnosis. The services that we LCSWs provide, psychotherapy, psychotherapy for a crisis, family therapy, and diagnostic interviews are all based on medical necessity. A mental health diagnosis demonstrates that there's a medically necessary reason for us to be meeting with the patient and providing this care and the patient to have these services. Having an accurate diagnosis leads to having good treatment. And when problems with mental health are accurately diagnosed and treated, the outcomes are so much better for our patients, both emotionally, but medically as well. Accurate diagnosis also improves the communication we have with our NP, the psychiatrist, and all the other staff who also care for patients who work with us. As clinical social workers, we rely on the DSM-5. This is our guide. This is the accepted criteria for making a diagnosis as well as supporting our diagnosis. When we want to make a diagnosis, we're referencing the criteria in the DSM-5 to determine which diagnosis is appropriate for our patient and making sure that they meet the specified criteria in order to receive that diagnosis. In order to make the most accurate diagnosis, we're going to use as many supporting findings and documentation as possible, the use of assessments, the use of history, our observations as a clinician, all of the things we record support our diagnosis and helps the other professionals we interact with understand the patient as well as where our diagnosis came from. Moving into how to conduct this, diagnostic interview. When we're meeting with a patient for our first session, typically we're doing a biopsychosocial, which is also called the diagnostic interview. So before we meet with them, we're going to have it well planned out. We're going to review their history and their chart. And when we're talking with the patient, we're going to do the best to get a really thorough history from the patient as well. When we're initially meeting with them, any time you can spend building rapport is never time wasted. The time, the better the rapport you have with a patient, this facilitates them being really comfortable with you and getting the best picture of their current health, their current mental state, as well as the history and other things they've experienced throughout their lifetime. Patients in facilities often have people come in their rooms and ask them to answer questions and participate in assessments and do things. So any extra time we can spend on the rapport is beneficial in gaining and earning their trust that they want to work with us. In addition, the biopsychosocial is your first meeting with the patient. So spending that time to build the rapport and treat them as a person and really engage with their Giving them control over the situation helps your following sessions go so much more smoothly. Spending time humanizing the process, treating it more like a conversation rather than an interrogation just lays really good groundwork for your ongoing sessions with your patient. 
When I'm doing a biopsychosocial or any kind of diagnostic interview, I always want to get an idea of the timeline of the illness, both the duration and the severity. I'll ask questions like, how long have you felt like this? Trying to determine if this is a very new short duration of symptoms, like if someone has recently moved into the facility, then I know I'm looking more towards an adjustment disorder. Or if someone tells me they felt like this since they were 16, I know I'm looking at one of the more severe and persistent mental illnesses. I'm also looking for the duration of the symptoms. So is this something that's relapsing and remitting? Is this something that's had the same amount of symptoms consistently through time? Or has this been a very short duration of symptoms? All of those things are giving me an idea of where I think I'm heading with my diagnosis. For people who have either some symptoms that are relapsing or remitting, I'm looking at maybe something, a condition that recurs. So perhaps they had depression in early adulthood and middle adulthood, and now as an older adult, it's recurring. For symptoms that are very new in onset, I'm looking at either an adjustment disorder or the first initial occurrence of either depression or anxiety. I also ask questions about the severity of the illness. So things like, have you ever been in the hospital for these symptoms? Have you ever done outpatient counseling, a therapy group, or any kind of treatment? Have you ever taken medication? I also try to get an idea of the severity by asking scaling questions. Tell me about a time when this was better in your life to help them explain how well they were functioning when this was not so much of a problem. Were they able to live alone, care for themselves? Or at their highest functioning level, did they always rely on support and someone to help manage their condition? I also ask, tell me about when it was the worst. What was that like? Getting an idea of at their lowest point, did this require inpatient hospitalization? Did they require extra supports? Um, Having a really good idea of the range of symptoms that they experience, kind of what are the highest highs and what are the lowest lows. I also ask people, when do you remember when you first had these symptoms? Trying to get an idea of this has been a lifelong course of illness or relatively recent or if it occurred in response to stress or some kind of external trigger. All of those things help point me towards the diagnosis once I have this information. Once I have a general idea of what the symptoms are, I, if possible, and especially whenever possible, I want to use a standardized assessment tool. So if somebody is describing depressive symptoms starting with their move into a facility, I might talk about doing the adjustment scale, or I might give a PHQ. A PHQ is one of the tools that we use very frequently with a high number of our our client patients being diagnosed with depression. When I'm administering both the biopsychosocial interview as well as any standardized tests, I don't try to read straight off of the paper. As much as possible, I try to make it a conversation with the person. Not only does it humanize it and make make them feel like they're not being interrogated, it also leads a better quality of information. So if I'm giving someone a PHQ, 
Instead of reading question number one, have you felt like this all the days, some of the days, half the days, every day, I'll say, now we've talked about some depression or we've talked about these feelings. Is it okay with you if we go over a little quiz? And then usually they say yes. So then I'll say, well, when we were talking about depression, you had told me sometimes you feel like things are just not fun anymore. And if they give me specific language or specific examples, I use their language and their examples. If they say, well, I used to love the adult coloring books, but those are not fun anymore. I'll say, well, earlier you told me you used to like the coloring and it hasn't been as fun lately. Have you felt like that all the time, like every day or just a couple days? And then I'll let them answer. And usually they'll give me a really good idea of where they fall on that scale from not at all to every single day. And if I need to ask further questions to refine it, then I will. I'll say, well, you say it's not every day. Do you think it's like three or four days a week or one or two? And then usually they'll be able to refine down for me exactly how often they're having the symptoms. When I'm giving any kind of standardized tool or scale, I use their language for their symptoms as much as possible. So if somebody tells me they're feeling worthless and hopeless, I'll say, how often do you feel worthless or hopeless? If they have their own kind of words for describing things, then I will make sure that I use their words. So if they don't use the word hallucination, but seeing things or seeing people, I'll talk about seeing things or seeing people. The more that you can make it feel like a natural conversation and an exploration of their feelings and ideas, the better the data is going to be in the scale and the better your relationship is going to be with your patient. Now it's time to cover some of the special situations that we run across when we're working with our patients. One common is that the need to give a provisional diagnosis. This is when we are meeting with a person either in crisis or who's so disorganized or dysregulated that we really can't do the full biopsychosocial diagnostic interview. We have to give a diagnosis because we can see that there are definitely symptoms, but we maybe don't have enough information to lead a fully supported diagnosis. So if we're in a situation, we're going to focus on what's in front of us. If it's a crisis, we're going to work on the crisis. If it's someone who's very dysregulated and disorganized, we're going to focus on building rapport, getting them as regulated as possible, and building up the trust in the relationship. When we're using a provisional diagnosis in the HPI, we're going to include a sentence saying, in the diagnosis of psychotic disorder not specified is because this patient was extremely disorganized and we were unable to come to a full diagnostic interview or whatever symptoms that are part of your interview. That sentence in the HPI indicates that this is a provisional diagnosis and it's being given because the issue during the session took precedence over being able to do the full diagnostic biopsychosocial. If you are giving a provisional diagnosis in the plan, come one of the goals for the plan will be complete the biopsychosocial and come to the final diagnosis. One of the other situations that we see is patients who don't meet the full 
DSM criteria for any illness, whether it's depression, anxiety, or psychosis. They may meet some of the symptoms or some of the criteria, but not enough to warrant the full diagnosis. In those situations, the DSM has a catch-all type diagnosis at the end of that section, and it's usually depression unspecified or anxiety unspecified. These diagnoses are for people who do have symptoms. The symptoms are prominent enough to affect their everyday life and their functioning. However, they don't meet the full criteria. As most of our patients are in facilities and are definitely being affected by their symptoms, if they don't meet a full criteria, they would meet the unspecified criteria. For those unspecified criteria, when you're doing your biopsychosocial or a diagnostic interview as well, you could indicate the patient met the criteria of um, worthlessness, hopelessness. However, they didn't meet the full criteria, but the prominence of these symptoms impacts their ability to function. One of the other situations that we run across is that we do focus on some conditions that are not necessarily um, common mental health diagnosis. The DSM calls these other conditions, which are the focus of clinical attention. These are good to add on, especially if you are doing a session focused on grief work or focused on past trauma. However, the preference isn't to leave one of these diagnoses as the only mental health diagnosis. These either add-on or other conditions are things that we're working on in treatment, but they don't justify the main need that the patient is receiving mental health services. For these patients, the preference would be to continue to work with them, noticing the symptoms, and trying to come to a what I would call an anchor diagnosis. So a stronger diagnosis indicating that there are some persistent mental health needs going on that you're addressing with your therapy sessions. In addition to their mental health diagnosis, you may also be addressing other focus, other areas like their grief. The last special situation that we see is the occasional need for a revision of diagnosis. You can either be doing a revision of diagnosis based on the patient's presentation, so how you're seeing them, how they're interacting, what your observations are, or you're doing a in-depth history and assessment, and based on an in-depth history, you believe that there's a different diagnosis that covers the symptoms that are being seen presently. For a revision based on presentation, this should be done after you've done a standardized tool as well as a very thorough history. This is done relatively infrequently, and when you as the clinician feel like the, in the inaccurate diagnosis is impacting the way you practice with your client. Unfortunately, sloppy mental health diagnosis is common in the setting, and the focus of our clinical care is not cleaning up other clinicians' sloppy or hasty diagnosis. The focus is treating the patient. An example I could think of of a revision of diagnosis based on presentation would be if somebody is diagnosed with depression However, the prominent symptoms that you're seeing are anxiety. You've done a scale and really they're not exhibiting depressive symptoms at all. You're focusing your treatment on anxiety. All the predominant symptoms are anxiety-based. Then you would want to add that diagnosis of anxiety 
In these situations, you would revise your diagnosis. So put the diagnosis in our charting system and then let the facility know. The facility has an option to change the diagnosis and go with your new diagnosis or to leave the diagnosis as is. What I've typically done is send an email to the director of social services and tell them, I've arrived at this diagnosis for this reasons. I have charted all of these. If you feel like changing the diagnosis or adding the new diagnosis, I made sure that this was well supported in the charting so that the facility feels comfortable making that diagnosis change, knowing that they have the support on file showing why that was being done. The other situation in which we may make a revision of a diagnosis is based on a history or a very in-depth assessment. When the history supports a different diagnosis and the clinical presentation may be reflective of either the remission phase or a different phase of the illness. So a few examples that would be pretty common in our setting would be a depression versus a bipolar. If taking a history, you realize somebody has had a long history of the cycling of mania and depression. They've said they've been diagnosed with uh, bipolar. They've been in the hospital for bipolar. They've done treatment for bipolar, but they're there diagnosed with depression and they happen to be in the depressed phase of the illness. Then you may want to revise it to bipolar because that is the more accurate diagnosis and will also reflect your treatment of them because you'll be treating them for bipolar rather than depression alone. The other situation that can be relatively common is the moderation of some of the psychotic illnesses. Some people in older age experience either a moderation or more of a remission or a decrease in symptoms of psychotic illnesses. So someone may be diagnosed with either schizoaffective or schizophrenia or psychosis. And after taking the history, you may realize that there either was a schizoaffective disorder when they have a diagnosis of schizophrenia, or they have a diagnosis of psychosis not specified. However, after hearing the in-depth history, you realize they've had a lifetime history of schizophrenia. This is pretty uncommon, but it can happen. And when you do have a good rapport with your patient and you are able to take that in-depth history, you will be able to find out information like that. When you are making a revision of the diagnosis, We don't really need to force the facility to go with our diagnosis. We're there to communicate and to partner with them. Our goal in doing accurate diagnosis is always to treat the patient holistically and accurately so that the conditions that they do have are being addressed in the most appropriate, in-depth, and proactive way possible.